scripture reading this morning, we turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We'll read that entire chapter. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man, if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body, behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. That Word of God is the basis for Lord's Day 43 that we consider this morning what is required in the Ninth Commandment. That I bear false witness against no man, nor falsify any man's words. That I be no backbiter, nor slanderer, 
that I do not judge nor join in condemning any man rashly or unheard, but that I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit as the proper works of the devil, unless I would bring down upon me the heavy wrath of God. Likewise, that in judgment in all other dealings I love the truth, speak it uprightly, and confess it. Also that I defend and promote as much as I am able the honor and good character of my neighbor. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the ninth commandment is the commandment about truth. And inasmuch as the truth concerns our communication and a communication that reveals what's in our heart and communication toward both our neighbor and toward God, it's a commandment where the first and the second table sort of converge, and we need to remember that. In other words, if one would consider the ninth commandment only in terms of how we are to live toward our neighbor, in other words, look at the commandment simply as governing speech toward our neighbor or as directed toward us by a neighbor, then we will have missed the point. Now certainly, as we have shown in all the commandments, all the commandments have something to do with God. They're rooted in the principle of God and who and what God is. Thus they speak not only to outward actions, but inward actions, not only about positive actions, but negative ones. But it is especially here where this becomes very apparent. Certainly if we murder our neighbor, it has to do with a sort of murder of God. But the ninth commandment dealing with truth is very directly connected to God because the principle behind the entire commandment is who and what God is. We even have a commandment that deals with speech, and we ourselves speak because God is a God of speech. God is a God of communication. God is a God of fellowship who communicates, who communes and communicates in His own being as being of persons. And God speaks only the truth, nothing but the truth. Never a lie, never a falsehood, never a slander, never a gossip concerning Himself. And God has also determined that He will reveal the truth. Now you understand the truth ultimately is God Himself. If you want to know what truth is, if you want to know why it is that in our day of postmodernism, the principle of which is truth is relative, truth is what you make out of it, truth is different depending on who and what you are and what you think it is. That's our culture, that's the philosophy of our day. Truth is relative. The fact is, God is truth. The reason why truth is made relative is because man has convinced himself that there is no God and thus wants no ultimate, everlasting, and eternal truth. But God is truth. 
the ultimate reality, the one thing that everything and everyone in the entire universe must reckon with is God. And God, furthermore, has determined to reveal Himself to others, to us, and to do that by His own Word of truth. The Word which is Jesus Christ, the Word which is Holy Scripture, and man must do something with that. And man not only turns that truth into a lie concerning God Himself, but to a lie concerning his fellow man. We may look at all that and say, wow, that's certainly true. If we look at this commandment in terms of God and the rest of the world, it sure is convicting of this world. And we see why ultimately this world will be condemned to hell and the whole world will be destroyed. So filled with a lie it will be. But what about us? Especially what about us? Many of us are very proud of the fact that we are a church that stands for the truth, that defends the truth, that speaks the truth. And by that we mean doctrinally. We hold right doctrine to be very important. If I would speak a falsehood off this pulpit about God, about doctrine, about ourselves, I would be held accountable. We claim to have the purest form of the truth even. But do we? Is that really true if we ourselves do not actually speak the truth? Oh, we speak partial truths. We speak truth about God. We speak truth about doctrine, truth about Holy Scripture. But what about truth itself? Truth about our neighbor right in the pew. Truth about our spouse. Truth about our children. If not, that exposes all the other supposed love for the truth as a lie. And note, too, in the passage that we read, the seriousness of this. James, in the famous chapter on the tongue, and the great danger of the tongue, shows where lies and falsehoods go, where the tongue that is not tamed by God, what evil it wrecks, which is division and schism and war of all kinds. With those things in mind, let's consider this Lord's Day. Truth-loving speech. Truth-loving speech. First, the commandment itself. The commandment comes to us, beloved, and it sets forth that we are not to speak falsehoods about our neighbor. It has to do with false witness. But it's about the truth. It's about speaking a lie. Even the little children here know that. The, the, the commandment, like all the others, is extremely broad, even though it isolates one particular form of it. It has to do with truth and loving the truth. And that's the perspective that we want to take with this commandment this morning, especially as those who claim to love the truth and challenge ourselves in this regard. The truth lover, the truth loving heart, will abhor, will despise all manner 
of lies, all manner of falsehood, and despise them as harmful. Not simply despise them because they're a lie as such, but recognize the harm, the damage, even recognize the source of them. If we truly love the truth, that will be true of us. And not simply with regard to what's found in the Bible, what's found in the Scriptures, what's found in our creeds, or truth as it pertains doctrine. One of the greatest forms of hypocrisy is when someone says, I love the truth. I defend the truth. I'm going to be in a church that defends and loves the truth. And indeed, there the truth is taught, at least doctrinally, at least as far as the creeds and Scriptures are concerned. What's said about God, what's said about man, is true as such. But if you dig deeper, you find out that's not really true. If you dig a little deeper, you discover that not everything in Scripture is believed either. Trust me, there are many who go about speaking about their love for the truth, love for true doctrine, that they will defend it to the death, etc., etc., but they really don't even believe what's found in James 3. They don't believe that the child of God ought to seek peace, that where you find envying and strife, there you find the false tongue. Same individuals where slander and gossip and backbiting is defended as right. That's not love of the truth. Where one can pick their way through the creeds and say, this I like and this I don't, or just ignore it or twist it or change it, that's not love of the truth. You see, you can't just love part of the truth. I will point out that it's equally hypocritical for individuals who also in their church talk about love for the neighbor and truth-telling about the neighbor where all forms of lies with regard to the neighbor are pretty vigorously dealt with. A church where the members rightly recognize when someone is lying about their sins, excusing them. That's a form of lying about one's sins. Defending one's sins. Blame-shifting, gaslighting, all the other terms that are used by individuals to justify their ungodly, wicked behavior. Often abuse or schism or division. There are churches where that is noticed, that is dealt with. That's a good thing. But then these same churches and individuals show the hypocrisy when they don't care hardly at all, if any, about the Word of God. Let the Word of God say divorce and remarriage is wrong. They throw that out the window. They don't believe that. The truth about God in Jesus Christ of sovereign particular grace want nothing to do with that. They want a universal grace, a common grace. They want a God that can be manipulated. They want a salvation that's dependent upon man. For what odd reason, I have no idea. Except to say that in all these cases, what's behind it is the great liar himself, and we should realize that. 
So understand that when we get to the ninth commandment, we're dealing with something very important. And if we as Protestant Reformed people who want to say we love the truth, we love the fact that among us we still believe the apostolic creeds, the Reformed creeds, and I believe we do. But if that's true love for the truth, then we will be equally zealous and jealous of love for the truth with regard to the neighbor. You can't create a wedge here at the ninth commandment with regard to God and the neighbor. It will never work. It will always be exposed at some point. The truth-loving heart loves the truth especially as it's connected with communication. We have to understand the commandment has to do with what comes out of our mouth, primarily about what comes out of our mouth, and realize that the Bible has much to say about that. The Bible has many names for it. Evil speaking, foolish speaking, corrupt communication, meddling, deceitful lips, a deceitful tongue, tail-bearing, kindling strife, burning lips, dissembling, backbiting, slander. But we ought to recognize that in our today, today's world that little of that is actually done with our tongue anymore. The primary vehicle to do all these things is not the lips, but the fingertips. The fingertips on the keyboard of the cell phone and the fingertips on the keyboard of the computer. The primary means that this is done isn't simply pen and ink anymore, but pixels on a screen, on a Facebook forum, in an email. That is primarily where these sins come out. The truth lover is no gossiper. Find a gossiper, see a gossiper, hear a gossiper, and you are not hearing someone who loves the truth. Again, there may be no division. You may claim to be a lover of the truth. Lover of the truth, Jesus Christ. It's hypocrisy to even say, I love Jesus Christ, and then be a gossiper. What's a gossiper? Well, a gossiper is someone who speaks the truth. In fact, they will even claim, they will tout the fact that I'm speaking the truth. So much do I love the truth, I'm going to tell the truth. But they're still a gossiper, and it's still a sin that God despises, and the truth forever really despises. The person that listens to the gossiper doesn't love the truth either. If they did, they would tell them to be quiet. I don't need to hear that. So how in the world can you sin against God when you're speaking the truth? That's an amazing thing all by itself. Notice that. In this commandment is covered a sin wherein speaking the truth can be wrong. And when is that wrong? When you say something that doesn't have to be said, it doesn't need to be said. When you speak the truth in order to harm and to hurt. Why is that sinful? Why is that wrong? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a little bit, but it has to do again with our God. If our God was going to speak the truth about us, and all the truth at all times, 
And if God had no concern about who and what we are to Him, what would you hear from God? A form of gossip, really. God would be talking nonstop about how bad and evil and wicked we are. Now, God does that. Make no mistake. But God does it in the right context at the right time. And God does that to His beloved children in the context of the Gospel. Always, even in the law, God comes to us in the context of the Gospel. You want to approve gossip and, and, and think about what gossip really is, just simply go back to God and say, well, how does God deal with us? Does God go around blabbing to everybody our sins and iniquity? Is there a big giant screen and a big giant uh, communication device where every time we sin, God puts it up a board and flashes it for the whole world to see? No, He didn't do that. All of our sins will be judged and all will come to light again in their own proper context. But there are times when we speak the truth, but it's not in love and that's sinful. It's wicked because it shows a murderous heart. We're simply using communication. We're using even truth to destroy rather than assist and help and lift up. When God speaks the truth to us, He does so for our salvation, for our benefit, for our good to destroy the flesh, if to destroy anything, but not to destroy our soul. That's how you know the difference between when God is talking and when the devil is talking. The devil too speaks. But the devil is always telling a lie to things that are evil and ought to be convicted, that ought to be exposed. He says, those are good. That's all right. You're okay. Live in that sin. God doesn't really care. That's not really sin. And then at other times... When indeed we are sinning, and indeed we are ashamed of our sin, indeed we are brought low even to repentance, he comes along and says, yeah, but your sin is too great to be saved. God can't save you. God won't save you. You can't be a child of God. And he speaks out of two sides of his mouth. Well, that's what the gossiper does. That's why the gossiper is often a backbiter too, and a slanderer. You usually find those three things go together. What's a slanderer? Slander is someone who usually tells half-truths, but the rest is a lie. Withholds the truth. May tell somebody and everybody about someone's sin, but doesn't tell them about the fact that they're very sorry for their sin and the fact they've repented of it. They leave that detail out. Twists the truth. Always leaves a little bit of an element of truth there to make it convincing invokes all kinds of noble motives for telling a lie and backbiting, which is to use either of those two means behind someone's back. That's the other thing. Usually you could tell slander and gossip, especially gossip and the evilness of it because it's done behind someone's back. Well, the person claims to be the truth, but the question ought to be asked is, well, did you talk to him about it? And all kinds of excuses will come out. Oh, it won't do any good. They won't listen to me anyway. I don't have time for that. No. That's always your first duty before God. Anybody that's not willing to do that is not a lover of the truth. But the lover of the truth does speak the truth. I have to remember that. It always struck me in my ministry and in the churches, and I guess from raising children and knowing my own nature, that so much are we liars inside, 
and so much are we prone to violate this commandment that even if we're not gossiping and slandering and backbiting, let, let's suppose for a moment that we can't really be accused of that. Ask yourself, how really do we speak? And you often find we don't say anything good either. We're just silent. Or we speak with our eyebrows and our eyes and everything else under the sun. But do you realize the truth lover, one who truly loves the truth, is able to speak the truth about someone, even someone who's worthy of condemnation, perhaps your ungodly nature, your neighbor. We're called to do that. Try it in your home sometime. Try it with your wife sometime. Maybe you want to run around and tell everybody about how your wife can't receive criticism or your husband is so prickly. You can't even tell him that he does anything wrong without him erupting in a blind rage and all kinds of things, which perhaps are true. But some of it may be our fault. Maybe sometimes when our children rebel against us, when they don't want to receive our word, it's because we've never said anything good to them. We've never praised them for listening to us. We've never pointed out where when they do speak the truth, whether it's about God or the neighbor, that that comes from God. When they feel bad about a lie, did we ever say to them, I'm, I'm glad about that. I'm glad that you confessed your sin on that. I'm glad you admitted to that. Because that shows a repentant heart. That shows really a love for the truth. You see, it's rather hard, if not impossible, to gossip and slander and backbite when you're telling the truth about someone. And there's usually something that we can say that's good and is the truth. One of the ways that the tongue destroys a church, one of the ways the church is destroyed by someone who doesn't love the truth, is when they're so busy pointing out everybody else's faults in the church. And if you call them out, they say, well, it's true. Try this once. Try in your prayers to God. Try in your prayers within your own head to first list all the blessings, the good things that you find in your spouse or your children or your fellow church members. And I'll guarantee you that you'll run out of time and energy before you can get to all the bad things. You see, do we really love the truth? Or do we only like certain parts of it, those certain parts that serve us? Why, there are these sins, there are these faults. It's my job to bring them out. All right, very well. But let's first talk about them. In another light, let's really analyze them from the truth of the Word of God. We ought to be amazed that there's anyone in the church. We ought to be absolutely astounded that there's even one child in our home that confesses that Jesus is Lord and Savior or obeys us and listens to us. That's what it's all about. Even to the point where when there is sin, that we deal with sin rightly. Oh, we show we don't love the truth by dealing even with that wrongly. We ought not ever be impressed with someone who's telling us about the sin of another that has not and even will not 
talk to that individual. That is so wrong. And anything that starts there is bound to go wrong. And we've got a million excuses for doing it. But the fact is we really don't love the truth if we're only going to tell everybody else about their sin. And we ought not listen to it either. Let's not remember that. Let's remember that also. If we truly love the truth, it's not just about speaking the truth, but it's about listening to it. You see, there, there won't be a talebearer. There won't be a gossip. There won't be a person going around lighting fires in the church with their tongue if there's no flammable material, if there's no one to listen to, no one to hear them. If you find out you have gossipy friends, backbiting friends, slandering friends, that's your fault. That's on you. You may point the finger at them and say, well, they're that way. No, you're listening to them. You're fanning the flames. But I didn't say anything. Yeah, that's the problem. Now, what's behind all this? What's the principle behind all this? Why is this commandment so rigid? Why does it call sinful even speaking the truth sometime? When I don't speak the truth in love, that's sinful. And, and why even when I cover sins... That, that can be a good thing. God who hates sin and despises sin also commends covering sins in certain instances. Keeping them quiet. Certain sins in certain instances. That ought to be astounding to us. But what's behind it all? And the answer, of course, is God. Well, and one more thing, the devil. It's amazing how the Catechism brings that out. Not only lists the sins... But under the requirements of the commandment says that I avoid them. I avoid them. Notice avoid, not simply speaking, but avoid them. Avoid where they are. Avoid the churches that live off these sins and live in these sins. Keep in mind, this is where church membership is important. It is. You may be in a church where the minister is lying about God. And you mayn't really be in a church either where the people are all lying about themselves and about God. Why is that? Why do you call to avoid? Avoid. Stay away from. Stay clear of. And notice all sorts, not just practical ones, not just ones that concern you or me or others, Yes, how many people have left the church because there were lies said about them? And probably that was really done. So you say they have a right to leave, but yet same individuals can listen to lies nonstop about God. How God loves everybody and sincerely desires the salvation of everybody. Avoid all sorts of lies in the church, in homes, in schools. Why? They're the proper works of the devil. There's the issue. It is amazing that all of our misery, all of it, every last bit of it, comes down to a lie. Comes down to a questioning of God. Did He really say that? Or should that be reinterpreted? And even notice how that all went about. It's worth reading again. Genesis 3 and the fall. Yea, hath God said, Thou shalt not surely die. Direct contradiction of the Word of God. A seemingly innocuous one, too. And that lie 
has resulted in the death of every single human being and many human beings in especially gruesome, gross ways. The result of every division, every broken marriage, every murder, every theft, all comes down to that lie. And then we can excuse it. And the Word of God comes along and it reconstructs our thinking. It says, no, you need to think about this. It doesn't matter how little doesn't matter how justified you think you are, all lies are the proper works of the devil. And notice too that what's brought out here is that that's the primary way the devil murders, the devil kills. He hasn't killed all human beings by bombs and bullets and knife blades, but simply by a lie. The greater death for the fast vast majority of human beings is not their physical death in the grave. Well, that's just the beginning. They suffer eternal death because they believe a lie. God's not really there. And if God's there, He's, he's, he's not going to take vengeance. Hell can't be that bad. Even if it exists, it doesn't exist. There is no sin because there's no truth. There's no busy lying and the world believes it. And we have to put all of our lies in that context. Even when you go to someone and you say, I got, I got, to, I got to talk to you about someone's sin. It's pretty bad. I got, got to talk to you about it. That's gossip. And you got to say, that's the proper work of the devil. That's the way the devil would deal with this. When we excuse our lies, that's the way the devil deals with it. When a minister comes along and says, you, you need to rethink what Scripture says. That's not really what God says. That's the proper works of the devil. That's the principle behind it. No false witness, no gossip, no backbiting. Tell the truth. Even cover some sins. Speak well of your neighbor. Because to do otherwise is the devil's work. It's the devil's business. The devil is speaking. The other side of the principle is God. God is the truth. The reason this intersects so much with God is part of the great lie, part of the falsehood in us is we, we want to change the truth of God to something more like us. We want a God who tolerates a few little lies. We want a God who's going to look the other way when we speak this way in our homes, when this is going on in the church. We want a God even who will say to us, well done, you Protestant Reformed people. Well done for your love of the Trinity and your love of God's sovereign particular grace and an unconditional covenant. Well, well done. And so I'm going to just overlook all the slanderous murder and gossip and backbiting that's going on in your marriage and in your family and in your school and on the playground. But that's not who God is. That's a lie about God. God is the truth. And not only that, but God has chosen to reveal His truth by one called the truth. His Son, Jesus Christ, the Word. What lies behind this? What lies behind this is even this, that God, the God of truth, deals with our lies according to the truth. God cannot tell a lie. God cannot even come to us and say, you're forgiven. You have no sin unless He does something. God cannot just look the other way with regard to a lie. They're devilish. 
They deserve hell and damnation. Little lies turn to big lies, etc., etc. They're destructive. They're a fire. God must deal with it. So how does He deal with that? He sends His Son. He sends His Word. He sends the Word incarnate. And there He lays on Him all the burning fires that we deserve for our lying, for being allied with the father of the lie. By coming and speaking the truth, that there's only one way of salvation, only one, and no other. That's through faith in Jesus Christ, who has borne the burden of our sin, who has suffered the just for the unjust, the truth-teller for the liar. And that lies behind this, you see. God is not the God who simply looks the other way, who tolerates this. And, and you say, that, that's great, I like, like, love that. Well, good. Hear this too, that no one can believe in Jesus Christ. No one can believe in Jesus Christ without also being convicted of their sin and saying, that sin is wrong, and I'm sorry for that sin. And no one can believe in Jesus Christ without also having a spirit which truly saves someone from that sin. That is, changes them. Changes them fundamentally so that they are a truth lover. Where formerly they loved the lie, now they love the truth. And changes them so fundamentally that they're a truth lover not only with regard to God, but their fellow man. You see, beloved, that's what it means to be Reformed. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be Protestant Reformed. Anything less than that is hypocrisy. Anything less than that is a falsehood. And we need to know that. Anyone that runs around crowing about how much they love the truth, and they mean doctrine, but doesn't love the whole truth, and all of the truth according to the Ninth Commandment is a liar, and vice versa. So, God motivates us to live this way, does He not? There's a reason why James speaks the way he does, why there's many, many such descriptors in the Scriptures of this sin allowed to run rampant in the church and in the school. And it's this, number one, we don't want our marriages divided. We don't want our homes divided split up. We don't want schism in the church. We want peace. We want long peace. Happy peace. The right kind of peace too. So that doesn't mean we don't speak the truth when there is sin, but we do it the right way according to the ninth commandment. The motive is you love God, do you not? You love God in Jesus Christ, do you not? Isn't that the real truth that you love? Not God as He's presented by the world. Not God as He's presented by the devil. Not God as He's presented by your own imagination. But this God who so loves the truth about Himself that He did what He did for liars like you and me. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, O Lord, we love Thy Word, we love Thy truth, we love our Lord Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent.
to save us from our awful lies and slander and gossip and backbiting, and who saves us such that we are forgiven. Help us to believe that, O Lord, that Thou art the God who forgives, but also this, the God who, forgiving us, also changes us, who sanctifies us so we are remade in Thine image, so that our heart is Thy heart, Thy mind is our mind, and who then speaks the truth in all things, who hates the lie as the proper works of the devil, and who repents daily of our many, many sins of the tongue. This we pray, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.